Hello everyone, welcome back to Creative Scrap Coffee. This is episode, what are we at now, 36, 35, 36. We got Adam from the Co-Element on with us, another person from Winnipeg. We're slowly going through our, our Winnipegians. <laughs> it's actually it's actually Winnipegers, that's what, what we prefer. But I'll take, I'll take Winnipegans, oh, okay. whatever, whatever. <laughs> I'm not picky. I applied the Torontonian to Winnipegonian. That's exactly <laughs> what you did. Ah, spoken like a true Torontonian. So Adam, I guess let's start off with something easy. Just tell us how you got, you came up with the name, the co-element. It's, it's, a, it's a weird question. It's a, sorry, it's a weird name, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so when I, started, when I started the company with uh, two other partners, this is almost... 18 years ago now, I'm dating myself. One of the other owners, one of my other partners was a real marketing guy. And so he wanted to, uh, there was a play on words. So co was all about like collaboration. Uh, it was about creativity. It was about, there was all these words that he had. And so there was this methodology behind it. Um, and I think there was a magazine at the time, it was an advertising magazine. And they had this sort of section called co, and it was like co underscore, co underscore. And so we sort of played off that, and then we came up with the co-element. Actually, the first name of our company was actually Elemental Motion Media. It, it, that's why, that's that's why we rebranded. Because <laughs> it was like, man, no one wants to type this in their email address, right? So it's, it's like, yeah, it was, it was, it's a funny story, but that's how it was. And I, I had really nothing to do with the name at all. And then uh, as years went on, um, I had the opportunity to buy my uh, business partners out. Because uh, I, they didn't want to continue with it, and I wanted to continue with the business, um, and that was probably like almost seven years ago now, and um, we just had brand recognition in the market, and I, I didn't really want to change the name because everybody knew our name. Uh, we had a pretty big client list at the time, and uh, and a growing client list, and people were getting to know us, so. Part of the reason why I paid so much was to keep the name, and it, it, I think it was worth it. It was a huge gamble at the time when I was going to buy the company. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm paying all this money just to keep this name, and I don't even like it. <laughs> but uh, it was worth it. It was worth it because when I bought it, the phone kept ringing. People knew us as co-elements, so I just kept it. So that's kind of the backstory behind it. You had two other partners. One of them was focusing more on the marketing. What was the other person focusing on? She was more uh, web and interactive. And uh, there were two super, super talented people. Uh, I, st I still know them. Yeah, they both just sort of wanted to go in a different direction. And um, my, my background, which you're probably going to ask about, uh, I, I'm not sure if you're going to ask about it, but uh, was always production. So it, it, you know, it made sense, sense for me to keep it and just continue on with it. So I've always been curious how, like, how it would be when you're starting a business with several partners. It's usually a little bit easier to buy other people out when there is a business that deals with like a lot of product, a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, a lot of employees. And it's a little bit easier to quantify that. But when you're doing something that's like a service, that's very, it's harder to quant, uh, to quantify like that. Like how would, how did that process go for you guys in terms of like, like defining the assets of co-element? Was it just the name or was there some, what else was there behind it? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're exactly right. And I mean, this, um, uh do you guys know who blair ends is oh uh, yeah yeah from uh two bobs two bobs podcast right they talk about this all the time and it's really interesting it's an interesting conversation because really what it is in, in marketing is it's sort of um or creative companies like us 
where uh, our value is like our creativity, right? Um, it's, it's really about perceived value. It's perceived value. Uh, or sometimes it's a book, right? So uh, advertising agencies, uh, traditionally, if they're going to sell, they'll have a big book of clients, right? And they'll sell that book of clients, right? Um, and typically, you know, in uh, the way that, you know, the agencies work is that they have a roster of, of retainer clients. So it's guaranteed business over, you know, year after year. And it's easy to sell something like that because you go, well, you know, X client is $30 million a year. And then you add it all up over a year and you say, well, my business is worth this Buy me. Right. But how do you do that with a company like, back to your question, how do you do that with a company like ours and yours as well? Right. Where it's like project to project. You don't know what next month looks like. I mean, if you got, if you guys have retainer clients, I would love to hear about that because I want more of them, but it just doesn't seem to exist. It just doesn't seem to exist anymore in, in what, in what we do. So it's, it's month to month. It makes, so yeah. How did we figure that out? I don't know. It was a guessing game. It was a total guessing game. Like I, it was, Yeah. Well, I figured you probably, you guys probably looked at your uh, yep. year over year and said, okay, yep. we roughly make this much every year. It's probably kind of consistent once you get past a certain level anyways, right? Yeah. Projection based. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's some slow growth in there. Um, and, you know, the, the, the opportunity to grow, um, how much, I guess, uh, market penetration did our, uh, did our name have in the market, right? So I was like, basically for me, it was like, there was no guarantees. Like all those clients, if he wanted to just go, you know, start his own business and say he wanted to just, he didn't want me in it and he wanted to just start another production company, he could have pulled all those clients with him if, if, he had, if, he, if he had better relationships. So it was really all based on kind of relationships. What was fortunate for me in my case is that he went to a totally different industry. So a lot of those clients were kind of left going, you know, well, we still need service and we still work with you. So we'll call Coelement. And, and it, it just seemed to work out like that. And actually, I maybe lost like 2% of the clients. You know, they went to other production companies. But yeah. But but if it was like that, you could have kind of totally. just started your own company. Totally. Different company. And different actually, that was a, that's a really good point because that was a huge lesson I think I learned was like this business or the business that we're in anyway is just so reliant on relationships like the relationships, the, the, the human to human relationships that you had with those clients and they enjoyed working with me. And that's why they kept working with me. Right. It really wasn't about the whole company or, or what the brand was. It really was about if they liked me or not. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I was always curious about how some service-based companies, like you mentioned, would be selling the book of clients of like, say 30 clients that they're going to be transferring as part of a part of the value of the business, because Clients are not yours to give really to someone that often because there is no, the one thing Dario and I have learned is that there's no such thing as a 100% loyal uh, client that will always be there because circumstances always change for them. Imagine that one ad agency you were saying like had like a list of 30 clients. If all of a sudden the changing leadership is there for the, for the organization, maybe that client doesn't like that leader. Immediately that value goes out the window. <laughs> Especially in, in today's like, world where people stay at their jobs for like yeah, six yeah. months to a year, then they dip, then they job hop. Like how that wouldn't work at all. When you get into big agency work, you know, a company is typically invested in millions of dollars with that company. And they're really, really like attached in like a lot of different departments. So actually moving something on that level of that scale probably would cost more in 
BS or, you know, inefficiencies, right. Than to actually mm -hmm. transfer. It's a big deal to change agencies for a big, you know, yeah. for a, like a multi-million dollar company. But, but yeah, you're right. Like what's, I think with the small, I think the big agency, um, seems to be like, there's still a lot in the U S still a lot in, the, in, in Toronto, but you know, you're starting to see it's so fragmented now. Eh? I mean, it, you're starting to see these micro agencies pop up with three people. I mean, video companies are really popular for having, you know, you know, three to 10 employees. That's like, sort of seems to be that magic number. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting how it's all changed, but, but we, we've stayed quite small actually. Like uh, that, that, that actually was a conscious decision that I made when I bought the company that I wanted to keep it, I wanted to keep it small and change the model. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be a 10 person company. I mean, there's, there's competition in the city, um, you know, and God bless them. I love them all. They're all awesome guys and I know them, but they just want to build a different company. They, you know, uh, s some of these guys, um, you know, they want to have a big team. They want to build teams around that and they want to have people come full time. I've built mine completely different than that. My model is very different. We're kind of trying to lay the, the, the foundation for that as well, because the, the same as you, when you're dealing with uh, companies such as ours, I feel like a small, nimble, skeletal like team of people is probably better than, than when, you, when you expand and you, you have a much bigger team. Because again, you're dealing with in, in an industry where the, I mean, we still, we also haven't cracked the <laughs> retainer model and almost no one we've spoken to has figured it out. So... <laughs> It leaves a lot of uncertainty, right? Like, I mean, we're in the pro process of like this year, we hope to hire our first employee. And like, we're kind of scared shitless about that because it's like, it's a big responsibility. Like what happens? Like if you can't pay them, yep. like that's, that's a terrifying idea. If it's Carol and I, it's like, we'll always figure something out. Worst case, we go freelance somewhere to make a little extra money. But like, <laughs> if you have someone else who's responsible for them too, right? And like, especially with the types yeah. of projects we always end up with, it, it just feels like a smaller team just works a lot better compared to like having a ton of people because again the bigger you get the more bureaucracy gets involved the more inefficiencies start to happen and and again yep. in an industry like ours where it's like project to project a lot of uncertainty uh, uncertainty you got to be very yeah flexible you be nimble. and yeah. be able to adapt right just what you're saying i feel like i identified that when i bought the company and i was like i kind of saw that's where it was going i mean when when we started like over 17, 18 years ago, we were probably the first like small production company of three people in the whole city. I mean, it was only, it was only the big production companies where they had, everybody went, went to that one production company and there was like 20 people that worked there. And it was like, now, I mean, from that time until now, we, we must have like 20 here now or, or more. I mean, every time I'm on, uh, on, on social, I mean, so a new one pops up and, and, and they're all doing really, really great work, which is great, but it makes it, you're right, it makes it really tough to scale because in a way it's almost, it, it's like turns our, our, our work or our type of work into like a commodity. Like there's so much choice, which drives down prices, which like, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's really interesting. I don't know if you guys have noticed that in your market. There's a there's a ton of companies in in our market. Oh I mean, yeah, like, you guys Toronto's are obviously way a lot more, bigger yeah. than, than Winnipeg. But Dario, it's funny because he was saying like, oh, it started yeah. from like one, and now it's that like, is. oh my god, it's twenty. <laughs> and for him, that's a lot. Hey, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> twenty here is a it's lot. It's like twenty Trust within me. a block. That's like, like and we're 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 a very small market compared I, to I can uh, imagine compared to Toronto. So you can imagine the competition that 
that brings and like, you know, your proposals, I, I find you have to be so competitive now and so many add-ons and so many discounts and like, oh my gosh, it's, uh, it's crazy. The discounts, right? Oh, even at your level still, you're getting a, a lot well, of those you requests. Know, you know, this other company's doing it for this and they're giving us this. And oh, they're price shopping. They try to play the bargain. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Price buyers. So yeah, I mean, there we can get into that. That's a really interesting conversation versus value pricing or price buying. Have you guys ever got into that conversation before? <laughs> <laughs> this is a Blair ends thing. Uh, we've touched upon it on the podcast, but so, yeah, we we deal with that. But I, I, whenever I get into those conversations, <laughs> I always go like, yeah. <laughs> so what am I working with? I always ask them, what am I working yeah. with? <laughs> What's your budget? What am I working with? And then from there, I kind of assemble the menu. It's like, well, you know, it's like at a restaurant. Well, you know, with that money, you could get uh, this dish. Yeah, and that dish, yeah, but if yeah, you yeah. Want that, it'll be oh, a little yeah. extra. <laughs> so it's not like you're. It's not like you're offering the same service at a discount. You're offering the service that is afforded by the client, you know, basically a, a customized solution. You know, you're not going to push on them um, 8K video content when they can only afford the resources for the 4K crews or the, I mean, totally. this analogy is not no. 100% accurate, but uh, I'm just trying <laughs> to be, I'm just trying to be relatable with you, it. You know, I always <laughs> like to pitch them more so, yeah, there's a pricing element as well. Uh, there's a pricing coelia yeah. of everything, but uh, I like I like to pitch them more so on like uh, they're really buying mm -hmm. our our expertise. That's really there's obviously good. the value part of it as well, but it's like, and I, I really push for the expertise part of it, and I I go into like listen like this is what I like down to like the questions I ask them, and they recognize that right away because a lot of the other people that they say they talk to just give them numbers and that's it, but. I like to drive them through my sales funnel and make sure they, they know what they're getting into. And I mean, I guess luckily we're in a market like Toronto where there's a lot more, maybe there's a lot more leads coming in. And even though there is a lot more competition in terms of video vendors here as well, I feel like realistically, like our company is not actually dealing with, let's say there's like 50 here. We're probably dealing with, I would say maybe five when we pitch for our projects compared to maybe with you, it might be different, but because it, 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 they got to narrow it down and usually they only go through like the first two, maybe three pages of Google anyway. So from there, you can kind of nail down and say, I know they're probably not going to go for that guys and they're not going to go for these other guys because <laughs> they're way past their budget. We fall yeah. within this range. So I know yeah. I'm dealing with these well, other it's, guys. It's very interesting to talk about, to hear this because your market is obviously a lot bigger than ours because we're, we're probably more like, and I tell clients this like, we're not for everybody. Like we're probably a more expensive option. Like I give them a base. I say, we, we don't really do anything for less than $10,000. I made like, that's, that's, that's it. You know, so right now for having this sales conversation, you know, if, if they're thinking, well, you know, the last guy did it for 2,400 bucks. It's like immediately that conversation ends, right? Go to them. <laughs> so I, I, I made a commitment a while back to say, we're not going to take on any projects less than $10,000. And then, um, there's only a few, uh, probably a handful of these production companies have been telling you about that really probably do projects at that level, right? So whenever we put in a proposal here locally, it's always, we're always competing against the same people, right? It's the same people, right? So same yeah, people, it, yeah. It's, it's, it's very interesting yep. in a small market, how, how, how that's been kind of challenging and, but, um, yeah, like the, you know, the value, the value, uh, a conversation is interesting like when when getting on those sales calls 
I'm glad this is going in a sales conversation because it's probably most of what I do and most of what I can really talk about. Like my background, actually, when I in TV, I was a motion designer, actually. Like uh, I worked for I worked for uh, AOL Time Warner, actually, uh, down in the States uh, for about two years. I worked for uh, CanWest Global. I don't know if you remember specialty channels, the global specialty channels. Do you remember Fox Sports World Canada, Mystery, Deja Vu? Do you ever remember those? Like how how old are you guys? <laughs> that might be before our time. <laughs> just just ju- I just I just know Discovery, History, YTV. So I don't know how old you guys are, but anyways, um, we're we're from the the when, when okay, Sugar okay, was on okay, YTV yeah, era. Yeah, yeah. That's that's our yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's how you think. That's, how <laughs> that's you a good us. way to date us. <laughs> so so yeah, that, I mean that's where I cut my teeth in the industry. I, I started as a motion designer and then uh I was brought on uh by Canwest Global to help with uh branding for six digital TV stations. So we got actually got to do all the station IDs and branding and motion design branding for all those stations. So I was able to sort of oversee that as a designer. I worked with a lot of outsourcing uh uh, outsourced production companies and I worked for global for some time and then I and then I did a stint down in um, AOL for about two years which was a really cool experience actually to go down there it was actually right when uh, AOL like uh, do you remember you got mail it was probably before your time you too. got mail uh, yeah yeah <laughs> um, it's uh, I worked down there for a while and uh, it's right when everything was transitioning to digital which is an interesting time uh, and then I got really lonely down there, uh, because I was a lonely Canadian. That's what they called me. They called me the lonely Canadian. So I was the only Canadian that worked there. There was guys, there was like guys from like the, uh, uh, like Brazil and like China, all these amazing motion designers that were brought in from all over the world. It was an amazing experience. Um, you could have make friends. <laughs> <laughs> He's the only one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, They're all like, what, what is this? They... <laughs> Oh, I don't even know. That's so true. Like they were like they had no idea even. Oh, Canada is just cold there, and you live in igloos and stuff. And I'm like, man, really? It's always the assumption. First of all, that's, just, this first of all, that's just in the winter. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in Winnipeg, but not in Toronto. <laughs> uh, and then after that, I I, um, I moved back and I I got engaged to my wife uh, that I'm married to now, and um, uh, we went out to Edmonton. I worked for uh, Teletoon and Family Channel out there. They're now uh, in Toronto. Actually, they moved to Toronto. And I did motion design there, and then I did freelance, and then I ended up starting the company um, from there. But where was I going before that whole stint telling you about where I was, uh, where I came from? Wait, well, first you wanted to kind of give a little bit of background. You were talking about how you yeah, liked yeah, because that's we what I do over like yes. the sales and business side of things. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because that's that's what uh, that's what Creatives Grab Coffee is mostly for is like the business side of things. Because there are so many resources. There are so many resources online about technicals and gear is constantly oh, changing. Brilliant. So Dario and I didn't want to get into the the habit of talking about oh what what light do you want to use, what camera do you want to use, but nobody ever talks about the business of video production. No one ever talks about it. So that's what the that's what the goal of the podcast is. So let's talk about the let's focus on the value side. Of uh, upselling because that's kind of what you you looked a little excited about that so let's go into that. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think bringing up this company, growing this company, um, I've really had to become a really really good producer and really really understand how to work with a client and how to hold a ha- hold their hand through the process really really well and do it in a charismatic way, do it in a creative way. 
and, and just really a nurturing way, right? That's something that I've worked really, really hard on is, is getting that down properly because I think this can be a little bit intimidating to people, right? And, and there are companies that these businesses need a video done and they'll go to a company and they'll just throw numbers at them or, or whatever. But what we really try to do or what I try to do in the sales side is really say, listen, this whole process, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay it out to you right now. This is how the whole process is going to go and I'm going to walk you through the whole thing. And I, and I actually have a, a, a diagram that we've actually designed that I bring up that I kind of articulate how the flow is going to be, right? And you know, where they'll be involved and where we'll sort of disappear for a while and then we'll, where we'll come back. And I, when I, I find that I, I articulate that all the way through, get such an awesome response from clients. We have the, we have the same, same thing on our end. Not a diagram. We have a couple of slides to, to kind of go through everything. But I think the way you described it is that's almost identical to what we do. And again, you just want to make sure that they understand that you're you're going to be there and just like you said guide them through the whole process but also show them that <clears throat> look you're not going to because a lot of times i've actually found that a lot of people that come to us might have mm -hmm. had bad experiences actually because a lot of the questions they ask me it's stuff that i i was like a slide or two away from answering right in terms of like am i going to be there to kind of uh, for for that specific particular stage, just to go over that with them, how do they get to put, uh, input their ideas? Like, what's the revision process like? I feel like uh, a lot of other companies might have actually created a, a negative experiences for a lot of clients, right? And that might be due to just not knowing how to be a good producer or just not being good at it entirely, right? Like. Uh, because like you said, being a producer is a, is a lot, you, you got to like that interaction Definitely. that you have with the client. Cause I find that like when I produce, mm -hmm. I really get excited. I love, I love talking to them about the whole, the whole video stage process. I love talking about that stuff. I had a meeting before this one where we, we were, we were having our first pre-production meeting. I was having a blast. I was late to this because <laughs> that went over yeah. a little bit. Right. But if you don't have that as a producer, you're just not gonna. Yep. You're not gonna provide a good experience, and you're most likely not gonna provide a good video because that's integral to that yep. role. Yeah. If you don't, if you're not excited about the work you're creating with your client, how do you expect your client to have any enthusiasm as well? And to your point, Dario, unfortunately, like a lot of clients, they have bad experiences because they, firstly, they didn't know what the video production process was like beforehand. So their first experience with a company was essentially someone who didn't do it right, didn't explain it properly to them. And because of that, the client felt like it was, they were completely shut out of it. I sometimes think to myself, if I wanted to go and say, get a website done and I had no knowledge of it and you go to a company, it's like, hey, I need a website. What is the process? And then someone just says, yeah. Here's, uh, it's going to cost you $10,000. Yeah. I'm like, I, I don't, I, I just, mm -hmm. I don't know what the, pro what is the process? <laughs> yeah. How does it work? You just throw a number at me, you know? <laughs> and that's what a lot of leads must feel like when they come to a video production company. You know, they want to understand and in you as a producer and a business owner, it's your responsibility to explain it properly. You know, I think we could actually tie this back earlier in terms of uh, there's a lot of companies that have popped up and I think the reason for all these experiences is because a lot of these companies are actually not companies. Mm -hmm. They're just freelancers, right? So, I mean, we see them often. Yeah. There's a ton of people here where it's like they they mostly are a wedding company and they're trying yeah. to get into corporate, but they can't. And you could kind of see based on the work that they get 
nothing against them. It's just corporate is a different animal entirely. But the type of work that they get mm-hmm. is very, yep. it's okay. It's nothing special. It's not a big client or whatnot. But I sometimes hear this with, with those people where they kind of complain. And not just not just them, but even, let's say, for example, someone that, it's a, that is in another creative industry. If they're a freelancer, a lot of times they complain about the client and they complain about a lot of things that they really shouldn't be complaining about because you kind of got to be that person for them that kind of guides them in the right direction. And I think a lot of the time they just don't understand oh, yeah. how I to mean, do I think that, right? So. A lot of times, like with, I guess, I'll say less sophisticated clients that meaning less sophisticated with their understanding of production. A lot of times they, they don't really want to know about this whole process. I actually find I have to I have to change my conversation. So if I'm working with a digital like an agency of like say a thirty to eighty person agency, my conversation with them is is a completely different conversation than say a not for profit or you know like a startup or something. And I think really really good sales in what we do is about knowing how to approach those different clients. Because they're all different. And you really can't, it, it's not it's not a one-size-fits-all when it comes to that. So, you know, for an example, like an agency, you know, when I work with a large agency here in the city, uh, we're sort of their go-to production company. I mean, I'm always talking to the creative director. There's a project manager there. Uh, you know, there, there might be an art director there, right? So I have to be able to navigate and and understand what each of these people needs from this project right project manager is going to be all about deadlines it's going to be all about timelines how long is it going to take you what do you need from us things like that you know the art directors wants to be on set they want to understand that we can sort of execute that the creative director wants to know as a producer that i can execute his vision right so with say smaller companies like startups that have never done a video before or like a not-for-profit, what you're really doing in that sense is you're teaching them what, like how to work with a producer, what a producer actually does. So when I talk to them, I'm like, okay, so I'm going to be your producer on this project. This is what my role is going to be. This is how I'm going to take care of you. Like I'm going to come up with these creative ideas on how to get your message across. So that that's these are the conversations that you're going to have. So I think knowing... Knowing, and I think that just comes with years, years of experience because I've, I've been able to work with, you know, um, some of the larger agencies. I've, I've worked with agencies out, out of the city that have 200, or sorry, um, in, in the States that have like 200 people before. So I've been able to navigate some of those and ex- have those experiences, right? And that just comes with experience. But knowing, knowing how to tailor your conversation in the sales conversation is super important. Because I, what, I, what I do find is that some of these production companies they want to systematize right when they start because they think they have to have systems in place so we have to we have to formulate this whole thing right and then they just start throwing that thing out at every single client and it's not you sometimes have to be a little bit nimble there but that's just me that's just how i do business so it has to have a there has to be a skeletal structure to your process where you know obviously in the video production world it's pre-production production and post but those are broad and like you said you have to tailor it to every every client, every lead that comes through because their situation is always going to be different. There's, You can go into the one-size-fits-all category if you want, but that's usually in volume-based selling when you're just trying to get hundreds of clients coming in for the, that one specific service. 
but if you're but, but that's only for like that type of video for example like if it's a product video you need a 30 second ad you can productize that whereas in our situation with value uh, based pitching we're like it was sometimes a client needs a social media video sometimes a client needs a web ad sometimes they need an internal video you can't have a one size fits all solution for a different deliverable and for different clients so it like a hun- you nailed it 100% on the head you have to be able to be nimble how to talk in those different circles and, and and how to how to guide them and and um you know some groups are going to be overwhelmed by certain things some people are going to be turned off by that right agencies are going to be a lot more sophisticated way more layers to what's happening there they want all the details right they want to know you're crisp and all that stuff but the agency work is the highest paying work that we do so it demands probably the most amount of labor right but what's what's the percentage breakdown between uh, direct to client and 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 uh, agency work for you almost right down right down the middle yeah really yeah. okay that's pretty high like normally a lot of people we've spoken to i think it was under 10% for us, I think we're down to maybe two percent for that. <laughs> Very little. Under ten, uh, under ten percent for agencies. Under ten percent of their work oh, is agency wow. work. I yeah. think it varies, though. Like, it, it, I think some because I know some companies uh, here in Toronto that are also trying to um, set themselves up as only agency partners. So there are some that are trying to kind of go with That's that, like a model that they're that they're building around yeah 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 I, I've, I've noticed that which it can work potentially but i feel like that will also be like a slow burn um it I, being able to talk to clients directly gives you potential for more longevity that way you're also not relying on agencies as well because yeah if you're if you're relying a lot on agency work if for example that agency doesn't have any clients coming for you where is your next work going to be coming in and if there's only two agencies in your city you're kind of limited well, at that that's, point. <laughs> that's why he's stuck with a smaller skeletal team, right? Because then exactly, he can adjust exactly. Easily. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we we rely on a very small core team here full time, but then like ninety percent of the work we freelance out now. Yeah, and it just do. it's it seems to be getting easier and easier. Yeah. There seems to be more freelancers flooding into the market. People want more flexibility with they work. They want more, you know, uh, diversity in the in the, in the type of. It pays more for them too, right? I mean, it always it pays to be a freelancer compared to a salaried employee. You just you, yeah. you got to have that hustle. The, the challenge to be able to do that. The challenge comes, I find, and and because and the we, we do a, a lot a lot of motion design work. You know, we just we just got a big project for an organization called Agriculture in the Classroom, uh, Canada, and they're a national uh, organization. They go into schools and they teach kids about um, agriculture. Really cool organization. Um, you know, but they, they just came to us and they're like, we need an e-learning animated series done and it's five episodes and each one's going to be 15 minutes long. Right. And I look at that and I go, oh, wow, that's gravy train. Like that's going to be an awesome project. And then I actually start looking at how I'm going to manage resources on that and go, oh my God, what's, I don't, I, I don't have the team to handle this. Right. (laughs) You know, (laughs) but but I mean, <laughs> you got to scramble and you got to make it work. You got to build, you got that. That's the model that we've built. We've said, listen, we're just going to scale up and scale down. That's what we're going to have to do. So we, this is, this is the pain of being nimble, right? It's, it's having to scale that up and build a team around that. But when you're talking about a, a, a project that could potentially go five, six months, freelancers are like, what? No, that's, that's, that's not how I work. It's like, you give me the project, I do the project, right? You, you'd think that a lot of freelancers like would you know, be licking their chops at a project like that. But they're like, well, I, 
I do work for 20 different clients. I can't just commit all my time to you. So, so there's, there's challenges that happen with that. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So what do you, what do you do in that case? Like, how do you handle a situation? Can you even take a project on you like just that? Take you it. And you, <laughs> and you just make it work, baby. Oh, you just make it I work. Mean, <laughs> just make it work, baby. That's what I just, just figure say to my, it out. Uh, my senior producer that works with me. I'm like, Hey, we are producers. Well, he's a motion designer. He's got that background. So worst oh, case, and he that's a slippery slope, a my friend. That's a slippery slope. We don't want to do that. But you're right. You're right. I mean, uh, you know, just a few months ago, actually, we went through a busy time and I'm like, I'm sitting here, you know, editing this thing. And I'm like, what? why am I editing this thing? I, I should not be doing this. This is not the model. Right. But yeah. You know, we have we have a couple projects coming up and they're, uh, the timeline is a little intense. It's these uh, uh, quarterly videos but the, the due date is like a couple days later. And we actually, we Did tried they, to cover they, our asses with this one and we, we pitched to the client. We're like, look, just in case one of the editors ends up with COVID, let's have call. a backup guy just in case, right? And they, they or, bought it. We're something. like, okay, thank God. And then we're like, you know, we'll also get yeah. them to help out somehow with the, with the thing. Like, cause we're paying for them to be on the, you know, in the, on the bleachers for a second. So <laughs> the bench warmer. <laughs> yeah, I think that was like, that was probably the first time that I'd ever realized that someone has tried to, I, I mean, they probably do this in other, like other companies have probably done this to have editors on standby. Usually you have shooters on standby, but no one's ever said, can I get an yeah. editor on standby? <laughs> hey, if you know a guy that wants to be a standby editor, you let me know because that would be lovely to have. No, I mean, we're going to, we're, we're going to pay them because I was like, they're not going to do it for free. They might get oh. busy. Like, oh, so you're going to actually pay them and keep them on like, keep him paying just to make sure he's there oh yeah 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 as as a yeah yeah it might not it, it might be oh, i mean we haven't done like i mean we we've we've sold it to the client the idea um and then i just gotta ask and see how much it would cost because it's like it'll be a couple of days like it's like look worst case you you get involved and then i'll pay you the full rate for that project but the best case you don't and you make half of what you would make on that. So it's like, do you want to take it on? It's like guaranteed work. Like, Hey, that's actually really, that's a good way of thinking about that. I've learned something here today. Yeah, because we were we were thinking about, yeah, I was talking to Kirill. I'm like, Kirill, you know what? We got really lucky last year when we did it because it was a four-hour uh, quarterly video or AGM. It was Oof. four hours, right? And uh, yeah, we delivered it in like under a week. And I was like, oh my, and they, they needed a major revision halfway oh through the week. Gosh. So that took even longer to implement. But but I was like, Kirill, imagine if God forbid, our editor caught COVID, what the hell would we have done? We would have had to do it right to find someone that last minute, and you know we're we're oh, a dear. little rusty yeah, with the editing so this too. Was, this so was an AGM, a <laughs> like an all day thing that you that you recorded, and you had to package it all up. So we did, it was like a four hour four hour thing, and then they wanted the full thing, and like our editor's good for it. We have a couple editors that can do it as well, uh, but we used our primary, but. This year, we even told the client, we're like, look, people get this, people, people get sick so randomly nowadays. Why take a chance? It's going to make everyone look bad because we're going to miss that deadline. And they're like, yeah, you're right. Especially with those types of projects where if there needs to be like a next day edit or a same day or, or something where they need within a few days, that's very time sensitive. When you have projects that, for example, you have like two weeks for a rough draft delivery and then a week for a fine cut and then another week for the actual full one. There is some flexibility. If someone gets sick for a few days, like there's, 
like the time has been built in there so that you know we can still do things properly for the client right but as Dario oh, pointed yeah. out nowadays <laughs> yeah things happen you never know what happens it's, it's not just now. covid yeah. people get yeah. sick for it's so, anything it's, it's it's so common for people to call in sick now for all sorts of reasons yeah yeah have you guys uh, interviewed anybody about like um differentiating at all as a production company do you mean like adding like niching down how to differentiate yourself in in your market because like okay so how many production companies are you know maybe two three four person companies are in toronto like a hundred probably thousands, thousands. <laughs> not thousands Carol. it's not it's, thousands. it's not thousands, There's thousands. It's yeah like, lots though there's lots there's lots so how do you a thousand no it's not so <laughs> there's it, lots there's it's lots. like how do you uh, it's frustrating because how, like how do you stand out what we did was uh I mean, I knew our quality was good and we just focused more on marketing ourselves. I focused on SEO and that helped us climb the ranks. It brought more inbound leads. And then this year we have a bunch of content marketing that we have, uh, that we have planned. But in terms of standing out, you do that based on the quality of your work and also how we publicize yourself online, I guess. Like it's, it depends. Like, I mean, if you want to do like, if you want to do say like, okay, we focus more on like car commercials or whatever, then obviously that's that's different. You're niching down on your thing and you could specialize in that. But if you're kind of like us where it's more general stuff, you just do it based on your popularity, I guess. I mean, you get to a certain point where you get comfortable with the amount of work that's coming in anyway. So it doesn't really matter after a certain point. Like I know a lot of the top, a lot of the top companies that we brought on board for the Toronto scene, at least they're all, they're all pretty comfortable. They're bringing in enough work where it's like, they're, they're fine. They're doing fantastic they don't even really need to think they don't even really need to think about brand branding or differentiation at that point because you're happy not really no no and 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 again like you're always going to get a certain amount of clients that you or leads that you get along with anyways and a certain amount that you're not going to get along and those ones will probably go to the next company and they'll get along with them so that's such an interesting thing to hear because that that clearly is that's a result of of your market because you have so much competition there it's just a totally different world where in a, in a smaller city where there's only so many eyeballs it's pretty easy to get known here right so our our, our challenge is a little different yeah you guys uh, pretty much nailed it on the head uh, earlier you answered your own question where how do you differentiate yourself from all the other companies around you it's you yourself as the expert because your experiences are unique to you and how you approach a problem, a business problem for a client or a challenge and how to solve it. The next company might have very similar service offerings, but the way you do it is not going to be the same or way even they if it do is, it. So that's even if it is, big... like, it's just a lot of, a lot of our work is person to person. So they might just yep. click yeah. better with you than with the other person, or they might not click yep. with you at all, but they might click that's with the I mean. other person, even though you might be better, right? Totally. It, it, and It's a lot and of human human dynamics at the end of the day, right? The human ass element is so key. It's the human co-element, right? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the second time. <laughs> that human element is always going to be, uh, at the end of the day, the ultimate differentiating factor. You can have everything else done right, but if the client totally. or the lead does not connect with you or does not like you, you could ha you could be Spielberg, but if someone, if you, if you don't like Spielberg, they're not going to work with Spielberg. Obviously, word of mouth is, is huge for us. It's been huge for us. And just the experience, I think, really concentrating on the experience that your clients have from sales to product delivery to final video delivery is a great experience. It was positive. If something they remembered, 
as long as you focus really, really hard on that and don't take it for granted, we have, I have never, ever taken that for granted. And, and it's been one of the successes that we've had. And we get, we get calls all the time from other, other like from, from new clients to say, listen, we had this really bad experience. This is what it was like. We don't want that, that to happen again. And that's, that's a really, that's interesting. And we go, okay, absolutely here. And then I, you know, I lay out how, it all, how it's all going to go. It's interesting how much business we actually get that way. But I, I think that, you know, that's to highlight that is like experience everything that you do every 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 touch point every time the the client has an interaction with you it should feel good and positive and 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 organized you know what i mean and and in a, in a way like like you were saying that's you're branding yourself through that because other people are going to tell that story you know oh you guys were doing a video we did where did you guys get your video done oh this company did it they were awesome this is what they were like you want other clients to you want your clients to tell those stories right and those stories spread like that and one thing that we haven't done very good uh, a very good job at is promoting ourselves and like like i don't do a whole lot of this well that's what i was gonna say is uh if you wanna you said how do i how do i make myself how do i differentiate myself in a smaller market? do more content right there's there's the internal stuff where it's like you know with your in with your inbound clients and everything you can provide the experience and then that that brings on more referral business but like you got to view yourself like you view your client in a way, right? If they come to you and say, I need to differentiate myself. It's like, okay, well, are you doing any video content? How are you marketing your stuff? You you got to treat yourself like a client in a way and kind of see what works out well for you, right? Like that's 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 kind of what we focused on a, a bit. We haven't done too much of it, unfortunately, but this year we're hoping to change that a bit. Uh, but yeah, like it's, uh, there's a lot of stuff. Like, I mean, I think number one thing for us has obviously been SEO. That's helped us a ton. Wow, that's crazy. Wow. I don't know much about that. It, it's basically just helping yourself rank higher on Google because if you think about it, you got to think about the the uh, the leads journey. How do, they, how do they usually find companies? And it's usually by Google, right? Google or Bing or whatever the hell they use. Um, and then searching certain key search words. And then from there, it depends on how, how well you rank. Like if you're on the first page for most of the key search terms, chances are like, you don't need to do too much marketing on other areas, right? Like you don't need to market yourself too much on LinkedIn. Obviously, it's very helpful, right? But if you're getting enough incoming leads from Google where you're busy enough, mm-hmm. then sure, you can kind of just focus on that a bit more and not worry about it because the money's coming in, right? In our market, it's just different. Like it's it's always, it's so much like one-to-one like competition, right? Like either you know, it's, it's your competition or you, and it comes down to, well, who, who are we going to go with? Right. And I've thought a lot about how to solve that problem in, in a small market like this. And one of the things that I did, um, uh, during the pandemic, actually, this was a, a, a branding exercise that we did. There's a, there's a agency out of the States are called strawberry frog. Have you ever heard of them? What do they do? An advertising agency, marketing agency, just like any other. But the way they've differentiated themselves, you might have seen this with some other 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 companies, is they focus on purpose-driven brands. Purpose, purpose-driven. So what, what I mean by purpose-driven, purpose, you know, uh, you know, any corporate company can be a purpose-driven organization, right? Whether that's a not-for-profit or uh, just having a higher purpose that they brand themselves and they see themselves as a company that has a higher purpose. All their employees buy into that higher purpose, right? Um, and 
Strawberry Frog made a, a conscious decision. They were probably one of the ones that first did this in the whole industry is that we said that we, we are only going to do this type of work. We're only going to be doing purpose-driven work, right? And as the purpose-driven uh, sort of culture phenomenon came and made its wave through business and industry in the States, they were the ones that were connecting with those clients on that level. So, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that here in Winnipeg. So when you go to our website, I don't, I don't really say video anywhere. Really. I think maybe it's like a couple small prints in there. I actually say that we do video, but what I, what, what I do say on there is I think it's, uh, I have to remember it now, uh, strategic storytelling. Um, what is it again? It's, Storytelling for ground breakers and then movement makers, you have it alternating. We are a strategic storytelling partner for purpose-driven brands and organizations. I think that's what it is, yeah. So I don't, I, I really market us as, yes, we do video, but we also do motion graphics. We also can do print, like, like you know, assets that might go along with that or, or, or web or things like that, right? So we're kind of like bridging agency digital agency a little bit but more just on the content creation side right creative development but uh but yeah when i have a conversation with a client and they're like oh we heard you do video i'm like yes but actually this is what we are and when you're having sort of when you're changing the conversation you're starting to you're starting to look different right one video production company that you're dealing with yeah yeah we do video and production and they talk about all production production everything technical right I don't talk about anything technical with the client uh, first, first off. Actually, throughout the whole process, they, I, I barely talk about technical. It's really about creative approach. It's about understanding what their goals are. You know, it's, an, it's, it's saying like, yes, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a video producer, but I'm also a storyteller. I'm also a writer. I'm, a, I'm an accomplished, you know, I consider myself a pretty accomplished writer. And all those things come together into what, into the value conversation of what, what we're going to provide back. So when you're talking about all that stuff and your competition is talking about, yeah, we just, we schedule shoots and we, we shoot, we shoot, we edit, we make motion graphics. That's also a really, really good way to differentiate, differentiate yourself in the sales process, but also on a, on a, on a, on a wider level, just like on your website and how, and how people talk to you. So that's one thing that I've worked really hard at in differentiating us, just changing the conversation. And I think it's worked. I think it's worked really well for us. That's a yeah, great way to do it. First, we have a similar thing. We focus more so on, <clears throat> I mean, I think it's identical. We just f phrased it differently. <laughs> when we do it, when, like we talk about how we'd like to get involved more so on like the strategy side, we want to know exactly what they have planned for, the, for their whole marketing campaign and how this piece fits into that part of their vision. And then we've, we've gotten... We've started doing that since 2021 and the reception to that type of approach has been has been really good. So, yeah, we pitch strategic video as well. Just but we're also very limited in how far we get along with that. So we also let them know it's like, listen, it's like we're giving you the gas for the car. Yeah. But like ultimately mm. it's you have yeah. to they have to drive yourself, yeah. Right. <laughs> I think the best analogy is bringing a horse to water, yeah. but they have yeah. to drink <laughs> the water. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know, maybe this is just the experience that I've had just like, like writing and, you know, doing a lot, doing a lot of reading too, is just having an intuition of how, how an audience will perceive something or how someone will react 
to something is such a sometimes what in what we do is such an emotional response right and i think coming at it from that angle where you're maybe you know there's a lot of government organizations we work with and you know they want to do a video right and it's the classic you know our marketing person wrote a script we want to create this you know and i take the script and I go, wow, this is, um, this is a brochure. You wrote a brochure. So good. Awesome. <laughs> so you want to make a brochure into a video. They're like, yeah, yeah, we want to do that. I'm like, yeah, you, sh you shouldn't do that. Like we, like we don't do that. Like we'll, we can take this concept and shape it into a creative approach that is, that is, has true storytelling in it that resonates with an audience that people can latch onto and, you know, and, and it's emotional, right? And, and when you start explaining those types of things, then they start going, oh, yeah, okay. It's, it's like, that, that, that makes sense. Because, you know, who wants to make, who wants to sit there and watch like, you know, a 30-minute, a you know, brochure video where it's just like, it's just, you know. And so you guys do that a lot too? Like, do you deal with that a lot? We deal with similar things. I was actually talking to Carol about this the other week about how we pitch ourselves as being creatives, but at the end of the day, what we do is so technical because if you think about it, when you're break, when you're cr producing a video, there's very little creativity actually put into it. There's more technical stuff you do into it down to like, okay, so let's say you got to create the script for it. When you're creating the script, it's like, okay, I got to hit these messages, points. Yeah, key messages, yeah. I got to fit them. I got to I got to fit these key messages in there. Now I also have to figure out roughly what the script is going to be even though we do a lot of interview-based format, but then you got to you know, okay, I got I to gotta have them answer it in this type of format. Then how long should that answer be? <laughs> see, break everything down. Because it's like the video, by the time they see like the storyboard and the script, you have everything timed down to the second. And it's actually really interesting when you when you break that down to the client, when, when they go like, okay, we need all these key messages and this is the script. And you're like, you know what? Great. But I, one big problem, that script is 20 minutes and this video is two minutes. How do I know? I timed it out. Yeah. Let's do it together. Let's sit down and yeah. read it out yeah. loud. And you know what? We got to have like breaks in between. We can't just, it's not like a drug ad where like, you know, at the end you got the disclaimer <laughs> that you try to feed everything in into two seconds, right? You got to have a little breathing room too. See, the real creativity, like one of the big parts of the creative process is figuring out your uh, how, how should we say dimensions and limitations and being creative on how to maximize it. So like, for example, if, if you're given a deliverable that you need to do something in a minute, uh, the create, the creative, you could have the most insane idea, but you have to be able to quantify it and break it down into that specific dimension of one minute. How will it work? How will it look? How will it work? And that's when you're, you're like, uh, that's creative technical, uh, being technically creative, that's that's probably the best way to put what you were saying, Dario, is that it's not that you're not being uh, creative and being technical. It's like how you are adjusting your creativity oh, for that particular yeah. project. And, you know, being able to navigate that with a client and, you know, because I don't know if you guys noticed, but a lot of the clients will, they'll, nowadays there's so much video and there's so much work out there. And a lot of times they'll look at something or they'll look at a competition, something that the comp their competition did and bring it to you and you go, we need to do a video like this, right? Oh, awesome. Okay, so what's it all going to be about? What's your key messages? Like, what are you trying to do? What's your goals? Everything like that. And right, they, they come to you with, you know, the brochure that the marketing person wrote that they pulled from the website probably and from some other brochures and things like that. And they give you this briefing document. And you're like, yeah, we can't do that. <laughs> so you have to, but I, but I think it's like, 
this goes back to that sort of care, being really getting good at being charismatic and understanding how to shift the conversation in a really soft way, in a nurturing way that gets them to do what you need them to do, basically, right? It's like, you guys have a $20,000 budget for this. That's all you've got. We, we can't do a 20-minute video, so let's look at our constraints, right? This is your, you know, you, you want a two-minute commercial, right? So maybe, you know, doing 16 interviews, you know, with your employees is probably not the best idea. Let's just do it with a voiceover or something, right? And I think, like, getting really, really good at that, I think, is, like, can be such a, a huge benefit to your business, like, uh, in, su in sustainability. And it opens oh, yeah. so many doors. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's all about, yeah. Even, even yeah. with the budget. Even with the budget. Because I find that a lot of the times when they come to us and they say, because we have we have uh, the the budget options on our on our contact yeah. board, right? So I I kind of know oh, right away what, like what I'm dealing with. Do you guys have like Do you guys do that where you like it's uh, completely transparent pricing? Do you guys is that how you guys work? Uh, no. no, no, no. So okay, okay. What their ranges, budget yeah. ranges are. So like if they're getting in touch with us, I would like one of the 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 prompts is like, what is your budget? And ours starts from five to seventy five, and it goes up in two fifty two hundred uh, two thousand five hundred dollar increments, and then past a certain point, five thousand dollar increments, but. And then I also, I always make sure to like confirm what their budget is because sometimes they just randomly select it and then you find out it's a lot lower and you're like, well, we, I got to cut this call then, you know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but, uh, it, it, I always find that if you are presenting yourself as that type of, uh, if you're, if you're a good producer and you explain the situation correctly to them, you'll be able to get more budget out of them. And I'm not saying that in a way where like you're gonna squeeze them for every penny they got type of thing. No, it's like more so in terms of like what they want and uh, what the value yeah, they're the getting. value they're yeah. getting. Because the like the way we do it, I have I even let them know up front. It's like these are my costs. Like I can I could probably milk you for more, but why do that, right? Like I, we've we've already established this. Ah, uh, Dario, we he's make. the nice guy. Dario's the nice guy. <laughs> I I do the I do the good cop approach. Uh, that's, you know? <laughs> that's smart. That's smart. Um, yeah. But but then but then I let them know it's like if you guys want to do a little bit extra like we can also add this in and and that in and then we can go to that level and, and do that. I'm actually wondering do you, do you offer like because uh, I've been I've been uh, thinking about maybe offering pricing packages like like a you know standard option but then eh, we could go the extra mile with this and then we can really go out with that one right have you have you tried that out I I, I haven't but it's it, it, it when. Uh, when we're working with some of the budgets that we're working with, it can just be a really slippery slope, right? Like it's, it's like, you know, you, okay. you promise, you promise something for that and then you end up getting into the project and it's like, Oh my God, this is like way more. I actually find, but way you more. know what, on the other, on the other side, I mean, I, you know, it's weird ebbs and flows, right? Like some, some clients are, are, you know, are responsive to, to higher budgets. Some, some, some aren't, some are response, uh, respond okay to, say, having a contingency. Have you ever done the contingency idea? The contingency budget? Okay, this is a no. little strategy. No, I'll, I'll, I'll get into, get that, into that, that with you right now if you want. So Okay, okay, cool. So if I know cool. it's a big, a fairly a larger client, uh, and I know they have money, and, and these, are, these are projects like, um, you know, $40,000 plus, let's say, right, in that window. Um, I'll put in what's called, I'll say, okay, you really want to be at this number, I know you really want to be at, at 45K on this, but I know in my head that this is going to be a lot, it's, it could be a lot more work and we could go over on this. 
if something right. goes wrong. You know, yeah. anything, right? Maybe they change their mind or you end up getting into too many revisions, past your revision rounds and things like that. So what I do is I build in um, what's called, I, I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to promise you this, but because we're so unsure about this, we're going to build in what's called the contingency budget. And that contingency budget is something that you commit to upfront. And that's a $15,000 contingency budget. Our goal though, please, please know that this, our goal is to not go into this. I don't think we're going to have to go into this, right? But if we do, we need that pre-approved. How's that sound? Oh, that is good. And it, it, and it, what it does is it adds, gives something for the marketing manager or whoever's, you know, dealing with that to go back to the finance people and go, listen, to have, at least it's a driver of, of a conversation that they can actually have nine times out of 10 that I've, that I've offered that. If I, if I get it right with the size of the client, they're like, yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. That's fair. Right. Because it's, it's like anything like it's, it's like architects, right? It, that, that's actually where, it, where I got it from. I think it was an architect podcast and they were saying like, yeah, like, like we're building a bridge here, but we don't know like fluctuations in concrete and metal and stuff Smart. like that. We, you know, how, how do we guess this stuff? Right. So they put in contingency budgets and, you know, you just have to be as a business, you have to be fair with it. And I think as you're going through the process, you're, you're informing your client of the process. Things are going great. Things are going great. And, and in the background, you're probably coming under budget, right? If you're coming under budget, be honest and don't charge them. But if you're, if you're creeping up close to that budget and you're like, holy man, we've spent too much time on this. As long as you've informed the client in the project management process all the way, how things are going, where things have bloated, where things haven't, and you need to go into it at that point, and there's, there's no surprises because the budget's approved. They've been constantly updated throughout the whole, the whole project. What you don't want to do is like go through the whole thing and say, oh, we're charging you the 15 grand that's not cool. They're not going to like that, right? It just seems like they, well, at that point, they feel like they're gouged. So do the contingency budget, work it in as a strategy, but be, but be honest with it. Because again, going back to that experience, I, I really like always going idea. back to that experience that you have with your clients, don't create a bad experience by gouging, right? So that, that's, that's the sort of happy medium. But anyway, in things, you know, it's a good strategy because in what we do, you know what it's like, right? Like things can kind of go awry pretty quick. I, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm, I'm taking that <laughs> one and using it because you can, you can, you don't even need to do it for uh, projects of that size. You could do it for any project, even, even if it's like something like we have a lot of projects that are in the 8K range. Even if we just tell them, hey, let's set like a $500 to $1,000 contingency budget, just in case something happens. You know what? We decide last minute, let's bring on a yeah. makeup artist or something. Absolutely. Things happen. Things happen. Great. Now, Things now happen. it's like, it's fine. Yep. It's like you said, they're committed to it. If they, but if we don't go through it, great. We Absolutely. don't go through it. You know, it's, Absolutely. it's great. You're managing expectations. And that's what, what's, that's the brilliant thing that you've done is that you figured out a way to more strategically yep. manage people's expectations because there's nothing worse that you commit to a budget that you've pre-approved with the client and then something unforeseen comes through. You can't really, like at least on your end, you can't really um, tell them it's like, hey, this is going to, if you want to do this now, it's going to actually oh, yeah. have to cost another two, 3,000. Clients hate on that. An eight, like say $10,000 project. That's a 20, 30% increase. No one, no one wants to have that conversation. And with that, 
or like if it does have to do, if you do have to do it and the client agrees and is willing to do it, to your point, they now have to go through the process of getting it pre-approved again, which delays the project, which is another big thing. And the one thing that your leads and your clients are always going to value above anything is time, not just the money, but the time. If you if they have something set in their marketing calendars on when they're going to get certain deliverables, they want everyone to stick to that. Because if you keep delaying Absolutely. it, then they're, like you said, it's going to be a bad experience. Yeah. So, you know, again, I think a lot of this conversation that we've had today really comes back to that to the, that experience, right? What are the me mechanisms as you're going through the process with the client that's going to make the experience fluid and, and make it feel like it was a positive and honest exchange of services, right? And doing, setting all that stuff up front is like, is, is, is so key. The other, the other thing is, are we running out of time or can I add? No, this was, that was really good. If you got more like that up your sleeve, feel free to like toss them into the combo. I, I gotta be uh, honest. Like you guys check out, uh, Blair Enz's stuff, the two Bobs, the two Bobs. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, we listen, yeah. we listen and, to that. And, it's amazing. And so he, he's got something called, which, which is really interesting in the, do you guys ever deal with the whole proposal thing? We want a proposal. A little bit. We want Very a proposal. Little. Very little. Well, Blair Enns is awesome because he's 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 shaped this whole thing. Yeah. Oh, this was the, this was with Chris. Um, yeah, I forget what his name is. But anyway, so yeah, he he basically says, well, we're not really, you know, the conversation goes, well, we're not really in the business of writing proposals, but maybe we could, you know, uh, have an agreement in principle, and then maybe we can move on to the proposal stage, right? So how do you get out of the, you know? The, the the proposal writing, you know, oh my God, I got six proposals to write and this is all I can do and none of this is guaranteed work, right? I mean, it takes time, right? It takes time. So what we do is like, because I know exactly the 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 situation you're talking about where a client asks you for oh, yeah. a proposal so you Spec come work. up with this whole creative yeah. uh, and yeah. you develop a budget, everything, yeah. So what Dario and I do differently is that we basically just simply... Uh, go over what their needs are and what we will do for them and see and have them sign off on that. We don't do any creative until a project is actually moving forward. And this is like one of the ways that we filter leads out. So for example, um, a client will come to us and uh, Dario or myself will hop on a call with them, go through our checklist of questions uh, of trying to figure out what they want to do. And then we have a follow-up call with them and we just go over everything they've talked to us about, what their budget is, say, this is the video we're going to create for you based on these examples um, or something like that. It's just, it's very, it's very basic. Oh man, we should do a role-playing thing. You guys ever do the role-playing thing? No, we haven't. We haven't. That, that, that could be another piece of content for Creatives Grab Coffee. I'll be the, the, the client uh, from a thousand person company. Okay, that's all great and all, but uh, yeah, I have to field this. I, I need a proposal from you guys because I have to field this out to three different departments and they all have to meet and uh, they have to meet on that proposal uh, to make sure that the price is right and the services are right. And, and then we'll get back to you guys. So can you guys put together, put together a proposal for us? So here's the beautiful thing. This uh, second call that we're doing it, we're putting it in a document form. So that's something that they can take and hand out to other departments in there. And it's basically a step-by-step -step of what, of what's going to happen and they and a lot of the a lot of this document is already pre-made like we do this for a lot of our 
our leads as they come through. And we just change a lot of like the project details. Uh, like, are, are you asking, sorry, Adam, are you asking if we give a lot of our creative ideas within this document? Like this is, this is like the types of songs we're going to use for no, this. No, it's like, it's, it's like, so it's like you can quickly get pulled into writing big bloated proposals. Oh no, we don't, we don't do any of that. We don't do any of that at all. I guess where you guys have done a really good job at is that you, if they demand a certain thing and it doesn't meet what your criteria is for that sales process, then you'll walk away, right? See, this is the, this is the catch is that a lot of companies aren't in a position to go, okay, we don't work that way. Like we're okay. You're not the right client for us. We're going to walk away. Some people need that business, right? So it's really hard not to get like pulled, pulled in because the, the client is demanding like, this is a situation where the client would be demanding something really specific. Okay, we need an intro. We need to know kind of like what your general approach is going to be to this. We need to know uh, how many people are going to be on this project. We need you to outline um, all of the all of the freelancers, oh, right? I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, they yeah. have okay. they have what's called a standard form proposal, an RFP that they send you, and you have to respond to that RFP, right? Your 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 system doesn't matter to them. Your system doesn't matter to them, right? So for that, so for that, we ha we ha we haven't we've only gotten from what I remember, we've a we've uh, just gotten one like that. We don't get a, like the RFPs we get. They don't get the ones we've gotten at least. I mean, again, we don't get that many RFPs to begin. We're, we're starting to get a little more this year, actually. But as uh, you grow. Oh yeah, the more, more. the more you grow, and the bigger and the bigger clients that you get, the more you're going to get dragged into that into that proposal writing stage, right? And so, I don't know. I don't know what the solution for that is because we. So Blair ends the way Blair ends like handles that is he basically just comes out and says, "You first of all, you have to have 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 the nards to have to walk away. You have to you have to walk away." And and the way you guys have formulated your process, that's really awesome. That you said, listen. We do this all the time. This is how we work. And if the client says, well, no, I don't care how you work. If you want the job, you have to do this. Well, then you have to be prepared to walk away. But that, that particular episode, I listened to it. And he basically said, most of the time, you're going to lose that battle. And also, there was, a funny, there was an interesting episode they did on the RFPs where they basically said, the, you know, the dirty little secret is that most of the people sending out those RFPs already know who they're going to choose. Oh, yeah. And we, we get dragged into that have. all the yeah, time so. because we, we do a lot of government work here, right? And so, and, and, the, and the government work is the worst yeah. for the RFPs because it's like they, they, you absolutely have to do it. There's no, if you want the business, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They want to know your firstborn child's name. They want to know wh who you're going to marry in five years. <laughs> yeah, so, so Blair ends, I think what, what he says is, uh, one of the techniques is he goes in and he says, is like, why don't we have, why don't we just talk about this f first and ha just have what's he, what he calls an agreement in principle. So we're going to have an agreement in principle of this is what the budget is going to be. This is generally what we're going to do. We're not going to, right. Okay, so you take that back to all your departments, circulate all that information, and then you get back to me. And I think that's brilliant because now you've just, you've given them a solution, but you've shedded all that potential work that you would have to do for no guaranteed work. Now, when they come back to you, they've done all yeah. that circulation and all that bureaucracy that, it, that all that information has to go through. And they've come back to you and said, okay, I think we're ready to go. Now you put yeah. together a proposal 
the chances of you getting that proposal and winning that project now has yeah. just shot up like by 80%. So it's kind of, it's, it's, it's interesting. So one of the things yeah. I wanted to, to just quickly touch upon, Adam, is like how you were saying some of those yeah. leads, when they're asking for a proposal and you tell them your process, and if they say, oh, I don't really it's care common. about your process, yeah. that shows uh, yeah. that, that shows disrespect right there in terms of the fact that where if you don't respect how I work, why should I respect how you work? And that you goes back to, to your point to where away. you have to be willing yeah. to walk away at that point. Because... If you immediately on the onset say, okay, I'm going to abandon everything I've done for the last 10 years of my life just to make you happy, just in terms of the process, then that that relationship is not going to start off on a good point, uh, off on a good foot. And sometimes when you're creating proposals with very little information for clients, you're almost doing a disservice to them as well because you don't have all the information. You don't know what is what is the potential. You don't know what their strategy is. So... How can you propose an entire idea when it's not 100% applicable to their situation? Are you getting that type of resistance? I, I, I get it for RFPs. It's just the nature of the beast. But are you getting that with direct uh, with your direct clients as well or just with RFPs? No, no. Uh, that That's, a, that's specifically yeah. an, R, an RFP issue, yeah. It's a specific, and, and, yeah. That's and, what and, I and honestly, it, it's, it has more to do with larger organizations that have a lot of bureaucracy and, and, and government contracts. But but here but here's here's kind of the, an interesting take on that though. It's like yeah yeah you know it's all easy and all to just kind of say well you have to be willing to walk away, right? Well, when you've got ten employees and maybe you had a couple slow months, right? And you got to make payroll and your payroll is like you know thirty to whatever thousand dollars a month, and you're like we need to get a contract in here. That's a very different. A, like mindset if you think about it now w when you're sitting there and you have a, a few if you're the only people working in the company and it's just like hey we got cash flow i know i can pay myself for a year out from now yeah awesome i can say no to that but when you're starting to grow a company and you're starting to get bigger those those decisions you have to start making and and some of the sacrifices that you have to make to get that business becomes a very different conversation and trust me, I've been there. But I'm assuming at that point, at that point, I'm assuming you you have employees that would work on that anyway, so it wouldn't really make too much of that too much of a dent on on you and time. Well, not to me, not to me personally, but now, but now everything costs money. I remember, I can have a I can have I can have a project I can have a project manager work on a proposal for for two weeks that takes her off of all this other stuff that she should be doing. Yeah, you're right. right you're right. So yeah. I didn't think about that. But that's the, that's, the, that's the flip side right there. It's that you have to know when to also put your effort in. If you know RFPs that 95% yeah. of the time you're not going to get the job because mm -hmm. A, they usually have someone already picked out, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, I'm having a little bit of a yeah. slow month. How am I going to make payroll? How detrimental will it be oh, to your business if you spend two to three that's weeks on a proposal, anywhere. send it in for that's not going to go anywhere. You might as well use that two to three weeks in time to drum up actual yep. business that will be coming in. So like with RFPs, it's one of those things where the only time Dara and I really dive into them is if we have the time uh, to do them and if they're not asking for too much because unfortunately a lot of rfps they're just not worth it we had one that was mm -hmm. asking yeah 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 we had one that was asking for a ton of stuff and i was like carol i'm not in the mood absolutely <laughs> yeah i, I know I, and i agreed i'm like i was trying to look through this rfp like 
Like, and I'm like, why does this company need to know the backstory of our grip oh my God, or that's the backstory way too much information. of our audio operator, how they got into the industry? <laughs> like... I'm like, we, like, I don't know who's going to be picked three weeks, three months you from could, now. You could just write back. You're not getting that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Adam, you said like, you know, if it's a slow month and you have like, you know, a big company and you haven't been getting a lot of work. I think that's a good time to question why you're at that stage yeah. rather than because it seems like if you're really if you're really banking on, you know, we're going to we're going to do that RFP and it's going to save the company. That really does sound like a last ditch effort. And if you're relying on that, you screw it up probably six months. Oh, to 12 yeah. Months and, I, and, and, and I mean, I'm not talking extremes like, hey, the oh, my God, I got to take this because my whole business is going to go under. Right. I think it's more about just building, you know, just sustainability into a pretty large organization that you've that you've built, right? And that you have a lot of people to pay, right? And just when when you're in sales and you get to that level, it's it almost turns into more about like we just need sh uh, we need projects in the bucket. Fill the bucket. Fill the bucket, right? Um but I think I think it's a great point. I mean, it's a slippery slope and it's just something that, you know, I have really struggled with. It's something that I have struggled with because, you know, when you get you know, as an organization of our size, if you get a, a, a project that's $70,000, that's a big deal, right? And so you really have to kind of weigh out like what it's worth and everything like that. It's, it's, and it's an ongoing struggle and conversation with marketing agencies and, um, and, and organizations like us as, as we grow, right? And it's, I think it's, a, it's, I've done a ton of reading and, you know, this is where I've just dove into Blair Ends because he specifically consults with agencies like larger agencies on how to deal with all of this stuff Creative but there's agencies. so much to learn from all that stuff that can trickle down into what into what we do it's so on the business side it's uh, it's really good uh, one benefit of the rfp i would say is probably that it can help you fine-tune your sales process as a yeah. whole right because i remember when we worked on we worked on a, an RFP for, for FedEx and oh, that's, we, that's we didn't get one. it, but I even followed up with them afterwards to say, we even followed up. I was like, I, I, was, I was like, I'm just curious, were we on the right track at least at the RFP? And they're like, oh yeah, it was down to you and another company. I'm like, okay, Carol, we'll apply that template. So wow. close. We were so like, close. We'll apply that template to like the, the rest of our sales <laughs> process, right? Because I was like, okay, I guess we were on the right track. We just missed out. Maybe it was budget or whatatever, but... But uh, it, it helps fine-tune. You have to keep yeah, it improving. Yeah, fine-tune our actual sales pro like sales funnel or sales process. It, it helped fine-tune that a bit. So we just applied that template to our other sales documents, yeah. and it's going. It's going I, well I think now. one of the the coolest things um, that I've learned as, as as I've you know grown the company and and moved naturally from a technical person into a basically that's all I'm doing is like producing and sales. Right. I think that have you, have you listened to much of Chris Doe's stuff? Yeah. A ton. Yeah. A ton. The future. <laughs> yeah. His, his role playing stuff is just, that stuff is just next level. It's just so awesome to do role playing. He's so calm. He's always just, he never gets emotional when he talks to anyone. And that's what, that's how you have to be with the business as well. It's like, you know, it's like, okay, just be reasonable, be logical. But just that, like, I find I've I learned a lot through that role playing stuff because you're like, oh my god, I've been in exa that exact conversation, you know, and I had no idea, you know, and I said <laughs> this, 
and I ended up doing way too much work, right? And yeah, so that that I really like his his stuff, especially when it comes to sales and creative, like like selling creative services. It's 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 really really good. Have you thought about joining his uh, his? Group? I have, I have, I have, and it's just it's just. I mean, you guys probably agree. It's time, right? I I find that the older I get, and the longer I keep doing this, you know, I have a family now. You know, I'm married, you know, I have a mortgage, all that stuff. Time constantly becomes my number one priority. In currency. Time, yeah. And, and even and even money doesn't, even money takes a backseat to time now, right? Like I, you know, I ended up buying this, we moved our studio from the exchange district in 2019. I ended up buying uh, an infill property and I moved my whole studio. I wanted that sort of like house vibe to a studio and, um, I bought it personally and everything like that, and uh, um, I totally forgot. Where was I going with that? Time, time, time. time sorry, <laughs> time and time money. Is, time and time money. is key. So, <laughs> so I, I moved the studio, and uh, and I, I, you know, you know, it snows here in Winnipeg. Have you heard that? I think, yeah, I think I've heard a thing or oh, two about that. I had no idea. <laughs> um, we also get really cold, and uh, I have two houses, so they're like you know, fifteen minutes apart, which is awesome. But when we'd get a huge dump, I was like, you know, snow blowing my, my front yard and then like coming here and having to like clear this house. And I was like, but by the time I get to work, like actually get to work, it's like one and I'm like sweating and you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, I can't, I can't handle this. Like I'm running a business here. So, so you bought, you bought I a did. house. Yeah. You, you bought a, instead of you moved from, you yeah. know, we were, we were talking about that. that that's, that's our, our idea, idea too. Just, just to cap that off is, um. So what I did is I just hired a company and they just manage every, the whole, they manage the landscaping. They manage in the summer, they, they come here and they do all the snow removal and everything like that. And I'm like, that, that's super expensive, but that was the smartest decision I ever Carol, made. We're going to do that. <laughs> because <laughs> time all of a sudden, you know, uh, you know, also cleaning, right? I, we ended up, me and my wife were like, no, we're just going to hire a cleaning person. They're going to do yeah. both, both houses and we'll never have to clean our house again. And yeah, it's super expensive, but I, you wouldn't believe the time that I, that I saved on that. Well, it's the time that you, like, like you, as you mentioned, like if you're spending all that time just shoveling snow. You're not or, doing your work. Yeah, that's, all, that's the only thing you're doing that day, but there's also other maintenance for these houses, so that might take time as well. And that day of oh, work yeah. that you could have spent bringing in new it business. It makes so much more sense, right? So sorry, I cut you off. What were you going to ask about the house? No, no, we, we had the exact same oh, idea. Oh, you should so do it. It's great to see that you, you did that. So, do, do you have your, your employment? your employees go work it's just more expensive yeah, they're here in Toronto, <laughs> oh gosh yeah uh, so, yeah. You're, you're, so, so your employees like they work out of the same like you got um how, how big is the it's, place uh okay. i'm gonna say like 1700 square feet but it's it's a it's like a it looks like a duplex it's like a it's a, a two-story it's a two-story so upstairs we have i converted all the the bedrooms to like edit suites um i have floating desks in there and it's all i had it all Really, really, really well done. That's exactly our idea. That was that was our plan for like the next five or five or so. So years. the way I manage that is like, so I was talking to my accountant about it and how how am I going to manage this? Because I was like, okay, the business will buy it and things like that. So it's a little bit different with a partnership, but because I own the the company, me and my wife just purchased this 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 house as a second house, and then we rent it to the business. So the business pays the mortgage. The business gets the write-off, right, of, of the rent, and I get a property that's getting paid for 
through the business that I can flip when I retire. Because as video creators, as you know, I don't know about you guys, but I don't have a pension. We don't have a retirement so. <laughs> package. <laughs> we don't have pensions. You're, you're yeah. incorporated, obviously. Yeah, right? we're incorporated. Yeah, we you're incorporated, incorporated right? uh, the beginning. Yeah, we, we, we just incorporated last week, but our plan was to buy it through the incorporation. Does, uh, through the corporation. Does, is that, was that not a better idea for well, you? Well, it, it could be. You, ha you know, and again, I'm not an accountant, but your accountant will definitely like, talk to you about that. Like, so with a partnership, it's a little bit different. Right. You're, if you're if you're if you're a 50 50 split partnership, it's very different where, yeah, you'll probably want to buy it through the corporation. Then the corp, the the, um, the 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 property then is is looped into the assets of the company and all of a sudden your company's worth more. Right. So the benefit of that is that if you want to go flip that. Right. Say you want to go sell your company. It's like, hey, we have all this gear, but we also have this property. It actually makes it a lot more appealing oh i see right okay the only thing the only downside i can think of is you have the the live like you know if business gets sued to oblivion the house goes along with it ah that's what you got insurance for all right all right <laughs> i i've never been so overly insured in my entire life what, what are you insured for through the business uh so we have because we just have the equipment insurance and the two million dollar liability that's that's it yeah, yeah because the house is dario health insurance so we have um, employee health insurance oh you oh, right? Right, so right, then right. we have yeah then yeah, we yeah. have uh yeah like the, the, the house insurance um uh, i have all my equipment here which is all like and it's in the house so yeah so you have to insure that i mean i've got like i've got life insurance on my personal side i mean i've got just so much goddamn insurance I, I hate insurance companies. I don't need any more insurance. But I get it. I get it why, why you want it. It's, it's super important. But I think it's really important as a business to weigh out your options and work with a broker. Like if, if you're getting to that level, like work with a broker. Yeah. We were going to rent a place, but then it didn't make sense because we actually spoke to one of our, one of our friends, well, actually previous guest, uh, Yang from SDE. We're like, you know, we're thinking of eventually renting out a place. He's like, why? It's like, you'll be spending like 70 to 90 K on a place. Like you might as well just buy it. And I was like, oh, that's not, that's buy not it. Or, idea. you know, a lot of, a lot of companies like in 2019, we, like we had everybody in our studio, uh, kind of a, uh, it was a it was a large space down in the exchange district. We had everybody coming there, and then 2019, everyone went home anyways, right? So I was like, all right, this is just gonna the way. I'm just gonna do it this way. Everyone's just gonna work remotely. I'm gonna have this, and so I, I do have some edit suites if people want to come here. Like we meet here for creative meetings. Like I have a really nice setup here, a nice boardroom table where we can have meetings, get together, and. You know, we can cook meals and things like that. It's, it, and it's more of like an add-on like for, um, for morale and things like that, right? Just to get together every once in a while. But I find with what we do that nowadays, I mean, I'm, I'm doing 95% of my, my sales like this, you know? I mean, I, you, I bet you guys are probably yeah, doing the same we're doing thing. A, we're doing yeah, 100% yeah. of our sales so, I mean, like this. No, we're doing 100%. People don't really <laughs> want to do business that way, I find. They don't even want to meet. They don't want to meet in person. It's just too much of a pain in the ass. So. Yeah. Everyone's busy. Yeah, everyone's busy. Hey, with, with employees, though, how, um, because it is mostly remote, how are you keeping employee mor morale up or keeping that sense of like, like loyalty, but also like mentorship and everything else? Because if they are mostly remote, like what are you, what are you doing on well, that? Well, so we like, you know, we have a small internal, internal team of, of people. And then, and then so the way we nurture those uh, those people is we hire younger talent, like, uh, uh, the senior producer, uh, Brian, that works for me. He's, he's more my age. Um, 
but we have a graphic designer uh, and we have a motion designer. And, you know, what we try to do is we provide as much training as they want to expand their skill set completely covered. So if we hire a, a new motion designer on their contract is if you want to go through school of motion, you guys know school of motion? You ever heard of that? No, no. School, school of motion in, in the States. It's a really, really cool online course for motion designers and just teaches them incredible stuff. Like it's in, it's like a, I don't know, I think it's like a three or f like a one month course. And we've done that with some of our other employees. We'll say, we'll completely, we'll pay for that. If you want to go through that, um, you know, we'll give you a certain amount of time, uh, like at work to commit to that, to that training. But some of it you'll have to do on your own. We, we kind of make a deal that way, but we completely cover the costs of all of it. So I think younger people that are getting into the industry for sure are just wanting to expand their skill set. Like they want, they want to be mentored and things like that. So we just try to create mechanisms that with that mentorship where they're always learning, where they're never, where they never stop learning. The minute where they stop learning and they start, you know, they start doing sort of redundant things or it's the same amount of content. I mean, we're creative people. We're, we don't, we didn't get into this industry to do the bored. same thing over and over and over again. Right. So, yeah, yeah so that's, that's yeah. kind of how we do that. And, and yeah. we do try to get together. We try to have, um, uh, weekly team meetings, um, at, at least one a week where we all get on, talk about all the projects across the board, uh, what we're doing you know, what's, what potential projects are coming up. Um, you know, if we're, if we're talking about a, one specific project, we make sure that everybody has a chance to give their opinion and, and speak. And I find that a lot of that type of work is really good for morale. Yeah. Good, good for team building. Yeah. yeah. You have to invest in your talent. You have like part of investing in your business is investing in the people that you work with. And yeah, it's, it's nothing worse than like, uh, like uh, having someone where you're giving them the exact same thing to do over and over and over again without, uh, giving them the opportunity to grow and expand over time. And um, yeah, like as, as you start to, that, that's the thing, like, uh, like Dario and I are already thinking about that. Even we don't even have any employees <laughs> yet uh, and trying to think about like how we could even help our freelancers uh, in ways to, to give them different work as well and keep them happy. Cause then they'll want to keep working with us as well. It really changes the dynamic as soon as you hire somebody. It's, it's interesting. Cause we, when we started, we were, we were three people. And uh, I was kind of the technical guy. Like I did the, I did the motion graphics and the editing. Um, but man, as soon as you add someone to the mix, it's like everything, sh everybody's priorities sort of shift and you're like, oh, and you say everybody has to sort of find their own way. And I think, I think that was one of the, you know, uh, reasons, you know, earlier on in our, our business with, between the three partners that maybe became, made it a little bit more difficult is that we didn't really have a plan for like when we started to grow what everybody's role was right and as you move forward you know it's like you're stepping on each other's toes and like part partnerships are are i have a lot of experience with partnerships if you guys ever want some counseling <laughs> <laughs> my yeah <laughs> you guys seem actually awesome together and i love i love seeing that i love seeing that camaraderie and just like that dynamic between you guys is, is just uh, it's just amazing because partnerships are in business are our work they are like real relationships. It's like being in a marriage. I mean, I was seeing my partners like more than I was seeing my yeah. wife at the time, right? Yeah, we're married, all right. So yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, it's an interesting <laughs> dynamic. But like, I love to see uh, success stories of that.
I love to see what you guys are doing, and it's awesome to see that. The way the the way you said that, it's like when you see like your friends that are like a couple. <laughs> you guys look so great together. <laughs> the way he said that, I'm like, <laughs> I mean, it's it's not really that far fetched, is it? I mean, it's I mean, you spend. I mean, when you when you when you see and communicate more with your part your business partner than you, when you do with your girlfriend or spouse or whatever. I mean. Yeah. Everyone always says that we argue like a like an old married couple. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime they see that, well, that's, it's hilarious. That's a good, that's a good sign because uh, old married couples have been around a long time. They've been together a long time. That's why they're called old, not yeah. young married couples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's interesting to hear that perspective, you know, because uh, like you don't always get a chance to like wonder. It's like, oh, it's like, how has this been going? But that's like an interesting compliment to also say like, oh, you guys seem to have a good dynamic. Absolutely. It's cool that that's how it comes across. There's, there's certainly things that I, uh, I miss dearly about having partners and, and having people on the same level of the business to be able to bounce ideas back and forth on and to be able to have that collaboration. Because when, when you become a, like a sole owner of a company, you're it. And all that disappears. And you have to make, like, you know, a friend of mine, uh, as, you, as, you, as you know, uh, Doug Darling, uh, you know, Tripwire Media, right? He's been really successful. He had a partnership too, you know, and it kind of went through the same thing where he had to buy it out. And, um, you know, we, we, don't, we don't talk, get together too much, but um, I know that it, it, it's, it's tough at the top. Right. When, when you're having to sort of make all these business decisions, everything rides on your shoulders. Right. And it's not sort of spanned across other people. The pressure goes up. It's 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 different. It's very different. So that's so, yeah. true. It reminds me of uh, Sopranos when uh, when Junior was talking about how it doesn't matter what decision you make. It's about how well you can steer the ship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's very, yeah, very true. Exactly. Very true, yeah. Okay, so we're at the hour oh, and a half. This, this is officially our longest. That's awesome. Is that is that okay? Wait, it, it was your longest one yet. Is that a good thing? No, no, our longest one. I think our longest one was like two hours oh, okay. or something. No. Yeah. Oh yeah, we did. We, we sorry, someone beat you. <laughs> no problem. But no you're problem. the longest one. I bet this it was year. Doug. He likes to talk. <laughs> I will come. I will confirm after this recording and let you know if it was him. Uh, if Doug, if Doug sees this, buddy, I love you so much. I love you, Doug. <laughs> Shout out to Doug. I think we'll bring you back on maybe closer to when we actually hire someone, because then we'll probably have like a lot more oh, questions yeah. to ask you in terms of like the hiring process. Because I mean, right now, like one one question I wanted to throw at you is like, how do you deal with like? I mean, there's probably higher turnover turnover rates now compared to the past. So how do you deal with that as a business, mm -hmm. right? But yeah, we could leave that for for another time as well. It's a whole nother conversation. I have a big rant on that. Anytime you want to get together, man, I'd be happy to share that. Yeah, oh, happy to have you on, man. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, guys. If you want to check out Adam's company, his company is The Coelement, and you could find it at thecoelement.com. They're based out of Winnipeg in Manitoba. Am I correct? Yes, the place where it snows. It's been a while since I passed the... Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while since I... <laughs> geography, <laughs> geography class. <laughs> yeah, it's in Manitoba. Um, so yeah, anyways, thanks so much, uh, Adam. My and pleasure. Uh, be sure to check out his website. Thanks, guys. You guys are awesome. Thank you. <laughs>